Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 106, Haven. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we take apart an episode of Star Trek, be it from the original series, the animated series, Next Generation, and sadly, that's all the Star Trek there is. We take it apart from messages, morals, and meanings and try to figure out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, we're hitting the episode Haven, and in the proud Betazoid podcast tradition, I'm doing this show naked. Wait, only this show? Well... Yeah, well, huh. I, I, see, I, I was going to say something like a Betazoid yeah. would never tell, yeah. but apparently Betazoids tell everything Betazoids all the time. Betazoids would totally tell. By the way, <laughs> uh, I think that last thing answers the question why we don't do podcasts at conventions. <laughs> right. I've always found it, you know, a difficult idea to, to, mm-hmm. to come up to uh, anyway. When people ask us, by the way, why don't you guys do things like this or why don't you do stuff like that? How do you suppose people are asking us? Well, there's a bunch of ways that people can. Uh, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, people get in touch with us. Our handle there and all of those places is Mission Log Pod. They can call us, 323-522-5641. They can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. You can also uh, check out our show website where we keep the discovered documents and then some, you know, other stuff, missionlogpodcast.com. And then we got two other places you can find us online, uh, trekmovie.com. Uh, has us on their site, Trek FM has us, that is Trek.FM. And of course, you can just search for us in iTunes, and I think we're on Stitcher. And I think under your chair, if you look under your chair, you might find Mission Log. <laughs> Remember, whatever way you choose to get in touch with us, uh, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of the show. If people look under their chair and they find Mission Log, do they still have to pay taxes for the prize that they just won? <laughs> I think they do. Okay. That's, that's really going to be our best episode ever. When we get Oprah on, going, <laughs> you get Mission Log, and you get Mission Log. <laughs> yep, yep. In the meantime, right. you do get Mission Log, and, and you do too. But not that guy, so All right. don't tell him. Well, we'll move along for the uh, half of the audience who had no idea what that reference was. <laughs> All right. So, Ken, time for trivia. Will you indulge me? Oh, I guess. Okay. So, uh, first of all, Carol Stroykin as Hum, uh, kind of hard to miss. He is a very, very tall man. He is known for his height. He played the giant in Twin Peaks, as well as Lurch in the Adams Family movies. I think that's definitely where I first noticed him. Um, however, his first role in a major film was in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Hmm. Yeah. The, the Bee Gees movie. Well, there's there's only one movie of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and that would be the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton, okay. along with an all-star cast, including Carol Stroykin. All right. Yeah. You've seen that movie, right? Uh, no. Really? Really. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, don't. 
Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of painful, but <laughs> enjoyable in a weird, painful way. Uh, Carol Stroykin was born in The Hague. He studied directing at the Amsterdam Film School and then studied at the American Film Institute. Um, I want to mention Robert Ellenstein, who is uh, Stephen Miller, uh, not to be confused with the guy with the band. Stephen Miller. Um, we also saw him as the president of the Federation in Star Trek Four. Oh, now, rocking mm, the goatee. Oh yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, That's why I the, didn't recognize him. Yeah, he's got the uh, he's got the goatee in Star Trek Four. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, he's got the mustache and a little. Yeah, he's got that dark robe on, and yeah, yeah. Um, now his son in the story, Wyatt Miller, is played by Rob Nepper. Nepper. Uh, Rob will show up again much later in Star Trek Voyager, uh, playing an alien. Now, uh, Majel Barrett, of course, we have to mention Majel Barrett, Roddenberry. This is the first appearance as Luaxana Troy, and of course, we know her from the pilot of TOS as number one. We know her from the series as Chapel and as the computer voice. Um, she often said that this was her favorite role, and we get more of Luaxana Troy as Next Gen goes along. Now, according to Rod, she she loved the character so much that uh, she kept some of Waxana's dresses for herself after they were done filming. Usually you, you don't get to do that on a show, but I guess if you know the producer, then you get to. And she uh, knew the producer. She did. She yeah. did know the producer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, that is Armin Shimmerman as the face in the wedding gift box that is beamed aboard in the uh, first part of the episode. Now, uh, this was filmed before The Last Outpost, which means that he played this role before playing a Ferengi. Hmm. Uh, so sort of an inauspicious start to his Star Trek career. Um Richard Compton, who directed Haven, was an actor who actually appeared in small roles in the original series. Kind of cool. He's sort of in the background as a Romulan in, uh, oh, I'm sorry, as a, uh, I believe he's a Klingon in the background of one episode. And he also appears as uh, an Enterprise crew member in the Doomsday Machine. And uh, when he started directing, and he did a lot of that in the 80s, a lot of TV, including Miami Vice, and... T.J. Hooker, so reunited with William Shatner there. Now, uh, this episode was written by Tracy Torme, and yes, I always wondered about that last name, if that was from the famous progeny, and yes, Tracy Torme is Mel Torme's son. Now, Tracy was a writer on Saturday Night Live in the early 80s. Um, he was a very young man. I think he was about 23 when he got that job, and uh, he joined the next-gen uh, uh, writing staff as a story editor and uh, producer for seasons one and two. He was committed through his contract to bring at least three scripts, uh, original scripts of his own to each season. This one was his first. And uh, I wanted to mention kind of a cool special effect here. Uh, the Torellian ship, kind of interesting in its own right. Uh, Andy Probert designed it. And it was Gene Roddenberry who suggested putting the energy source in the middle of the ship. So Andy Probert wanted something a little different from the traditional, you know, rear-mounted thruster engines or everything that we've seen from the Federation, the kind of rear-mounted uh, warp nacelles. And uh, so Gene actually suggested putting this glowing mass in the middle of the ship that just kind of 
pulls it along, you know, whether it would have been from the front or from the middle. And uh, that glowing mass was shot as a green screen composite. So they built the model and you had this green globe mounted in the middle of the ship. So then they could key that out and put in the effect later on in post. Legend has it that this is the most important podcast you will ever hear. That does, of course, have no basis in any sort of provable fact. But hey, who knows? Prologue. The Enterprise is on its way to Haven, a planet so renowned for being groovy that some think it's magic. Mystical healing properties, stuff like that. Garden crew will go there for shore leave, which will probably be fine since nothing bad ever happens when the Enterprise has shore leave planned. For Commander Riker, the relaxation period seems to have already begun. He's watching the 24th century version of MTV in his quarters when Security Officer Yar calls him to the transporter room, as well as Counselor Deanna Troy. Some unidentified some thing is beaming aboard the Enterprise. It's a creepy talking chest, facing everything. And it lets Troy know that her mother, her future in-laws, and her future husband are on the way. Kind of bumps Deanna out. Act 1. Counselor Troy is apologizing to Captain Picard. She never thought she would actually have to go through with this arranged or genetically bonded marriage. Once married, Troy says she and her husband will not be able to stay aboard the Enterprise. Picard takes it in stride, though Riker is obviously upset. Troy can sense this. She's an empath, you see. Also, she has eyes. She points out to Riker that he wants more than anything to be a starship captain. He says, well, yeah, but I can do more than that. She hopes he'll come and dance at her wedding, which seems like a totally reasonable... <sighs> the Millers are ready to beam aboard. They seem nice-ish. In traditional sitcom roles, the wife is haughty, the husband is a typical 80s, upper-middle-aged sitcom husband, and Troy's betrothed, Wyatt, he's there. Troy senses something off of him. Not disappointment exactly, but surprise. She is not what he was expecting. And where is Deanna's mother? Mrs. Miller says Loxana Troy will not beam aboard until she is sure that they won't be in the transporter room. Picard ushers them away. With the Millers gone, the comically brash and overbearing Loxana beams in, chastising Deanna for speaking words to her rather than thinking them at her, and assuming that Captain Picard will carry her luggage to her quarters. Act 2. What do we know about Loxana? She can read people's thoughts. And to hear her tell it, every man is attracted to her sexually. Also, she doesn't like the Millers anymore. They've changed. Deanna confides to her mother that she has misgivings about this whole marriage to the Miller boy, but she knows her duty, and she will follow through. On the bridge, the leader of the people of Haven is hailing the Enterprise. So glad you're here, especially because an unidentified ship is approaching our planet. It's refusing to communicate. It would be great if you could stop it from hurting us, if that's what it's trying to do. You know, since we have that treaty with the Federation and all. On the passenger deck, Deanna is getting to know her future husband. He's a medical doctor. She thinks eventually she and he could read each other. Kind of like her and uh, this other guy who is also on the ship, by the way. Could get awkward. You think that's awkward? See all these pictures why it's drawn? Yeah, they're of the woman of his dreams. Literally, like he has seen her in his dreams since he was a kid. He really thought that Troy would end up being her. Back on the bridge, the unidentified and uncommunicative ship approaching Haven is identified. 
It's a Torellian vessel, and that freaks the bridge crew out. Riker says he thought all of the Torellians were dead. What are the poor devils doing here? Picard says they cannot be allowed to destroy the Enterprise or Haven. Act 3. So the Torellians were destroyed by hate. Well, hate and biological warfare. Two warring factions on their planet. One came up with a weaponized biological something that ended up wiping out both sides. Some tried to escape the war, but they still carried the killer bug, wiping out other planets to which they tried to escape. It was thought that the last Torellian ship was destroyed eight years ago, and now, great, these guys. The Enterprise is bound to protect Haven. However, it's also bound to help people in need. Assuming there are still living Torellians aboard the ship, they would certainly be people in need. Puts Picard and crew in a pickle. Speaking of pickles, who's hungry? Time for Deanna and Wyatt's rehearsal dinner. Bad hair, bad manners, cultural differences. On your marks, let's start the family feud. Wyatt is interested in the arrival of the Trillian ship. He's read about their plague and would love to help in any way that he can. Dr. Crusher says she would be happy for his help. Riker excuses himself. Not long after, Counselor Troy does too. She just has to blow up in front of everyone at the dinner first. Act 4. Troy tracks Riker down on the holodeck. They're discussing the intricacies of their feelings for one another in the wake of her approaching marriage to Wyatt. Speak of the devil, Wyatt joins them on the holodeck, which leads to Riker leaving about 15 seconds later. Wyatt gives Troy kudos for her emotional outburst. It shamed their parents into compromising on the wedding plans. By the way, do you actually want to marry me, asks Wyatt. Deanna says she does, and they kiss. On the bridge, Picard's still puzzling over the Torellian ship. They know their messages are being received, though they're still not responding. And the planet Haven is freaking out. They want that ship destroyed. Instead, Picard drags the Torellian ship away from Haven with a tractor beam. The inhabitants of the ship finally make contact with the Enterprise, and there, on the screen, is the actual woman of Wyatt Miller's actual dreams. Act 5. Hey, says the guy leading the Torellians, is Wyatt there? Wyatt rushes onto the bridge, and wow, I draw that chick all the time. She is Ariana, and she's glad Wyatt came. Just as he promised? What did the Torellians want? Well, they don't want to make contact with the people of Haven because they still carry the infection that wiped out their planet and other planets too. No, they were just like a quiet place by the sea where they could die. Wyatt's still totally blown away by the woman of his dreams being real. He seeks answers from Loxana Troy. Well, duh, all life is connected. You suspected it. Ariana suspected it. That made it possible for the two of you to link up telepathically across the vast gulfs of space and time that separated you now seriously. Which of these headpieces would look better on me naked? Wyatt gathers some medical supplies to take with him. I'm sorry, to beam over to the Torellian ship. He also goes to say good b uh, good things to his parents and to Deanna. Then he beams himself to the Torellian ship where he, for some reason, does not die. He takes a look at the drawings Ariana has made of him over the years. They knew he would come. You know, once they knew he actually existed. Aboard the Enterprise, Wyatt's parents are fuming, but the Trellians call in, with Wyatt among them. They say Picard can release the tractor beam since they got what they really came for. Wyatt. He will work to cure the Trellians. The end. Mostly. 
Ken, you know, it's a little known fact that uh, I believe when Rod approached you to do Mission Log and mm-hmm. uh, he said, you know, you're going to need a co-host. How are you going to do this? You, you had actually drawn a picture of me. <laughs> and he was like, wait, I know that guy. <laughs> and uh, and then he came to me and I, I had drawn a picture of you. And it's ah, this is, absolutely. This is how we're going to put the show together. Oh, it's kismet. It's because, you know, I always wanted to talk about Star Trek with somebody. And I guess you always wanted to talk about Star Trek too. And yeah. so, well, not Star Trek too, although we did talk about, Star well, I Trek did want too. to talk about Star yeah. Trek too, but Star Trek also yeah, yeah. Star Trek as well. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that apparently opened up some, you know, weird rift in, in the space time continuum where, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> totally, totally scientifically Absolutely plausible, makes sense. totally plausible and totally provable because this show exists. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's really, it's it really, a, it's a, it's a great moment where Lo- Loxana is like, oh yeah, yeah, no, you totally, you know, all life is connected and why it's like, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Really? Right. Really? There's nothing- no, no. Yeah. He didn't. <laughs> oh, so much other stuff to talk about before we get to that though. What do you got? Yeah, well... Oh, um, wait, wait, wait. Really quickly, I have to apologize. You're bringing almost all the notes this week. Because <laughs> I, I just kept hurting my head mm-hmm. watching it. Oh, did I spoil it? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Ten. I know. Oh. And it's not... Here's yeah. the thing. This is not... Well, go ahead. Please. Well, I was going to ask you, if you had the, the power and the technology of the Enterprise, and mm-hmm. you were like, hey, I'm going to go relax in my cabin for a few minutes, mm-hmm. would it be a miniature hologram of two vaguely Greek fantasy-dressed women playing a harp? Can I tell you, honestly, there are two notes that I okay. seriously made. There were two notes that I made. Mm-hmm. One of them is, I love Riker's TV. I question what he's watching. Because <laughs> I do love his TV, and it's one of those yeah. things. Honestly, what he's watching, the problem is, I don't know if they figured they're going to blow the money on effects or what it was exactly, because it reminds me of that shot that we that I talk about um, quite often in the cage, where mm-hmm. we see the the communicator laying on the table. Oh yeah, right. And we just hold right. on that shot for just a little bit, you know, a little too long, so that so, right. to give people a glimpse of what the future may hold, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I do wish he was watching something interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, because here's the thing. A good bit of harp music is fine. <laughs> yeah. Personally, I prefer the harpsichord. I mean, mm-hmm. so, I mean, even there, it's just sort of like, it's it, it, it felt like such a like, oh, let's show this really neat technology, but with like the most boring show imaginable. Right, right. So, I don't know. Well, but it, yeah, I, always... I, did like, I actually did like the illustration of what the technology could be, though. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's always interesting to me when you see uh, a science fiction depiction of either entertainment in the future mm-hmm. or we're trying to show uh, a differently evolved culture. And inevitably, you end up going to Earth's past. Mm-hmm. So you, you you just grab a bunch of actors and you put them in rows. So sort of a Greco-Roman thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and then we show harp music. And, you know, it's very strange. I guess, you know, designing the future is difficult. And I certainly did a good job with the Enterprise and the crew. And that's a very uh, kind of consistent environment. And it has certain rules and boundaries around the technology there. But then when you have to simply show something different, well, well what do you do? Well, yeah. we'll, we'll go with the robes again. Yeah, I can actually see Riker. And of course, you know, there there would be a, a horrible, horrible uh, litigation and probably cause far too much. But I could see Riker like watching an old concert or something. Oh, yeah. Like, even yeah, if you yeah. even if you want to show like, you know, they're reaching back in history, then I could see him watching something from the 80s or 90s or do like a um, do a um, do a fifth element thing and show. So some kind of um, entertainment that's really weird. 
because you're right. Yeah. He's he's pretty much watching. Uh, it's like he's watching outtakes from uh, from I Claudius. Yeah, or, or or maybe maybe he should be watching uh, Mel Torme concert. Oh, uh, you see, that'd be good. And they could probably that get would, him on this episode because he might. Yeah. Um, I, I also was kind of struck by the idea of the the efficiency of a, a communication system that requires a box with an animated humanoid face on the front of it. Because I, I hope that in the future, the iPhone does not look like that. I don't know. That'd be kind of fun. I assumed it was just a tradition <laughs> thing, right? I mean, okay. sort of like sort of like passing on the jewels. And, and then again, I guess we do have the question of what, what good are, are jewels in the mm-hmm. future. Because when they leave, I didn't even mention it because it was kind of throwaway. But now it occurs to me. When they leave, when the Millers leave, they, they tell Deanna to keep the dowry. Because they were giving her basically all this jewelry. Yeah, right. And he right. says, keep it. You'll need it someday. And whether that is to dress up for the wedding or whether that is because, you know, well, you're going to have to buy a house and you're going to want to settle down, you know, so so mm-hmm. use all those jewels. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I just assumed it was kind of a tradition thing. It's creepy. Right. It's a, a creepy, creepy tradition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned in your uh, breakdown that uh, there's a lot of hair going on in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, hello, Tasha Yar. Uh, yeah. she's, she's got a lot of hair going on in that scene. She does. Um, yeah, but it, did you know this episode was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Hairstyling in a Series? And I am not making that up. That is for real. Do you suppose that was just based on volume? I don't mean volume of the hair. <laughs> I just mean just the amount of hair they had to deal with because, yeah, right. there was a lot of hair. Yeah. 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 So it could have been. It could have been just like, wow, they had to wrangle so much hair for that episode. <laughs> Please give them an award. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I felt like, uh, you know, we, we'll get into the character stuff in, in a little bit, but I, I did feel like there was kind of a fine line between Loaxana being a bold, eccentric woman versus acting like a child. Mm-hmm. And, and I, of course, this is the first time we've seen Loaxana, and this is the first time we've explored that. Um, and I kept thinking, okay, well, you know, her attitude about the Millers may come from a legitimate set of cultural differences, but then acting it out. I, I guess I'm more thinking about that scene at dinner where she's wearing this, it, it looks like leaves on her arm, mm-hmm. but apparently it's, it's a, a living being that she kind of treats as a pet. And then she's kind of, you know, making it creep over and grab Mrs. Miller's arm. And, you know, okay, we, we, we get it that she's eccentric and wacky and kind of likes to provoke those around her. But then it also does seem kind of childish. Like, really, you know, you're an adult. And, and thankfully, uh, Deanna calls her out on it, <laughs> especially you, mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it made me, you know, you and I are rediscovering the show here and we're rediscovering the characters here. And it made me wonder, okay, how do you sustain that over a half dozen episodes more when we bring her back? Is she just the annoying child or do we get to learn a bit more faceted version of her character i hope we do well i was gonna say we'll have to wait and see won't we yeah i guess we will here's what i will say and i don't i know breaking the timeline and what have you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i don't remember hating loxana troy Mm -hmm. um i do know just from reading stuff online that there are lots of people who do oh sure yeah um i don't remember hating loxana troy so my assumption is that she's going to mellow out a bit yeah Either that or I just buried it all. I'm not right. sure which. But yeah, had had I gotta think that the character is going to mature a bit, assuming that the character comes back. Oh, um, well, because um, yeah, because yeah, if it had been this the whole time, I think yeah, I would have probably just you know started 
chewing off my own arm to get away from the TV <laughs> when this episode was on. Right. right. Yeah. Um, speaking of characters, though, I, this is one of the few times that I feel like the either the writing or the direction for Data plays false. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've established that he is interested in human beings, and and I get that. But at least in that whole dinner scene, he just he kind of is just wandering this room, just bouncing with no direction at all, with, with this bemused but but painted on look on his face, and it didn't feel right. It, it felt like we were trying to shoehorn comedy into this mm-hmm. in an already over the top scene. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I was not a. a fan I loved of his that face, though. That's the thing. I loved his face. Really? I get yeah. it. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I think we'll have to come back to that later because I'm. With every point you make, I am in danger of, of going straight to the summation. Okay. <laughs> but, right. I, but, but I will say, just from a. Like, just the look on his face was. was, was did it belong there? No. Was it appropriate? No. But it's neat because you're used to seeing uh, data. You know, or used to seeing Brent Spiner with the same sort of just expressionless face, yeah. right? Maybe, well, I guess a, I, maybe a raise of the eyebrow, or that's it. And so it's actually just neat to after watching. I guess is this the tenth episode? Uh, yeah, watching so. after watching ten episodes uh, to see a facial expression on him was kind of was kind of fun. Yeah, I guess it makes you wonder then what is the programming in his positronic brain that says, okay, when this kind of thing happens, here's what your face will look like. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> there's really no other reason for it. E- uh, well, oh, wow, really? Are we going to have a discussion about this? Here's no. the thing. We're, no, we're assuming, <laughs> we're assuming that there is something in Data's makeup that is making him want to learn, and whether that's been programmed in or not, who knows? But would he not yeah. then... If there is any learning possible from data, and I don't just mean the assimilation of information, but I mean if there's actual learning, if there's actual mm-hmm. growth that's possible for this character, then coming across something surprising, I mean, might give him an expression of surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Or okay. maybe even an expression of amusement. Yeah. So, so maybe he would have sort of the same kind of human reaction, although his human reaction would be the reaction of like a five-year-old. Like, you know, you see somebody hit their head and fall down, a five-year-old would laugh. And, you know, right, so a lot right. of people who are a lot older as well, but then there are other people <laughs> sure. who will rush to see... Is that person okay? And then there are other people who will just be embarrassed by the by the sort of social awkwardness that's going on at that dinner. Mm-hmm. Data is not – I mean, he actually says to Picard, maybe it's because you're used to humans. You don't find this fascinating. But, dude, this is some wacky stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, maybe like, he picked up that look of amusement from Riker. Yeah, that's Riker true. Riker spends a lot of time bemused. Looking at Data that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So there, there's there. Hey, we found something. Can we call it? (laughs) Is it just me, or does Counselor Troy's mother's voice remind you of someone else? I can't quite put my digits on it, but she sounds familiar. And now the moment I feel certain people have been waiting for my second written note on this show. <laughs> I did have some other thoughts, by the way. I just didn't write them down because after a while it just felt like that felt like trying too hard, I guess. Mm. I don't mean working too hard. I got no problem working for an episode. Go back and listen to the Corbomite Maneuver if you don't believe me. But sure, yeah. it felt like trying too hard to write stuff down for this episode. For me, thank God there's John Champion. Or thank, <laughs> you know, whatever. Whoever. There's John Champion. <laughs> That's what John would say. I'm not, I don't want to start that fight 
again thank, this thank week. Thank my mom and dad. Yes, thank John's mom and dad. In fact, we should get them on for a supplemental. <laughs> Has he always been like this, we'll say, and they'll say, like what? Um, the other note that I had <laughs> on this episode was the discussion between Picard and Data right at the very beginning. I think it might have actually been in the prologue. If it wasn't, I know it was in Act 1. Mm-hmm. Where Picard has been waxing rhapsodic in the captain's log about how awesome Haven is. So awesome, in fact, that some people think it's like mystical and it's got powers to heal and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And apparently that waxing rhapsodic spilled out into just walking around the bridge, talking about how awesome Haven is and how some people, you know, legend has it, this place is is really hopping. And Data says, a legend that has absolutely no basis in fact. And forgive me, I do the I do the deep voice there because it actually reminded me a little bit of a uh, of a uh, of a Kirk Spock exchange, and that's not to put too much mm-hmm. gravitas on this, but it reminded me of a Kirk Spock exchange because it's the kind of thing Kirk might say. You know, I hear the babes on this planet have magical powers. <laughs> and Spock would say that's got no basis in anything. It's not true. And then you know Kirk would fire back the way Picard did, going, "Oh, but you know, legends sometimes can come true." Now. It strikes me as more of a Kirk thing to say than a Picard thing to say, and it's obviously setting the tone for this is just going to be one of those episodes. This is going to be an episode full of wacky, whether it's like yeah. wacky comedy or, or wacky, look, you already have to suspend your disbelief because we have warp drive and transporters, but really, even in that suspension of disbelief that we've done, we're going to kick it up a notch in this episode because, <laughs> yeah, it turns out also magic. Well, to Picard's credit, at least he begins that statement with legend. You know, legend has it, not not like, you know, oh, I, I heard this from some reputable source, but it's, right. here's the legend. I'm still with data on this. I'm like, yeah, prove it. <laughs> bring bring the proof of your claim. Well, um, okay. <laughs> and it's indicated that that proof is going to be coming, right? I mean, this is yeah, right. right. It, it, it is kind of weird, though. You're right because that exchange is, you know, some people say this, and Data could mm-hmm. have said, "Well, those people are idiots," and Picard <laughs> might say, "And I believe those people." <laughs> In yeah, case, right. Data might have to go. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what Data would do at that point. But yeah, it was yeah. kind of a, it was not exchange. It's like because you're right. Picard starts it off with legend has it, but then he goes on to say, and you know, legends can be spot on. Yeah. Just ask the leprechauns we met last week, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad that we didn't get to know more about that planet and too bad we didn't get to know more about what maybe magical healing properties they do have. Yeah. And if they're not magical, at least figure out what those healing properties are and can they be used? Yeah. You know? Do you think if the Torellians had landed down there that maybe it would have healed them? Because, well, that's what I kept because thinking. Because we do know yeah. there is magic yeah. now in this place. Oh, no, the magic is not there. It, it's actually not magic. It's that all life is tied together. And so if you yeah. think really hard about something and somebody else also happens to be thinking really hard about that thing, then maybe the two of you will end up bumping into each other at the coffee shop and, I don't know, getting married or saving a society or something. I have no idea. <laughs> Poor Deanna Troy, because, you know, De- Deanna Troy is so far very, like, emotionally centered woman, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and and just to walk in to meet your betrothed mm-hmm. and uh, and he's just pulling out pictures of somebody else. Like, <laughs> oh, well, isn't she fabulous? I have been dreaming about this woman for so long, my entire life. I mean, let me tell you exactly how obsessed I am with this other woman. In fairness, he did think that she was going to end up being that woman. 
Yeah, you thought he was going to show up until you know for for a fact. Well, well, he probably wanted to show her. Look, I've been drawing pictures of you. Oh, you, your hair was and your no. Oh, yeah, I'm just I'm just a bad artist. (laughs) (laughs) No, this really is you. It's totally you. (laughs) Around the eyes? No, because you have you have two, and so does my Mm -hmm. drawing. Yeah. (laughs) Um. I you know I give props to Deanna, but uh, I'm still having trouble grasping the whole Loaxana character, and and maybe it's just because I feel like uh, wow, if you spend enough time around a Betazoid uh, with all their mind reading, because she is just straight up reading minds. It's mm-hmm. not like Deanna being half human, where she sort of gets the feeling well, they're they're happy, they're confused, they're hiding something. Loaxana is just straight up reading minds and telling people what she reads. And this is seriously intimate stuff. I mean, even Vulcans are a little reluctant to use their powers like mind melds every now and then. But Luaxana is just going around saying, you believe this and you feel this. And I have to wonder if that's even acceptable by Betazoid standards. You know, you you would feel like they have some kind of um, boundaries maybe on their abilities when they encounter someone else. Um, you know, I, it was interesting to hear them say humans often feel one way, but say another. You know, they, they think one way and act another way. And, and that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool to just point out because we pointed it out before. And that could be difficult for an alien that doesn't do that, mm-hmm. that just says exactly what they believe and acts exactly in the way that they say. Um but it made me really wonder how we're supposed to look at the Betazoids, at least this Betazoid, <laughs> you know? Well, let me back up a tiny bit. I mean, when you're talking about the Betazoids and being around the Betazoids, my assumption is that they have to learn well how to do that, which I would think would also mean a certain amount of defensiveness, like being able mm-hmm. to block your mind. I remember, I can't, which, hmm, I can't remember which foil we've come across now. Oh, it was the Traveler. Oh, sure. Where, yeah. where Deanna thought that, you know, he was blocking his thoughts, I believe. Or, oh, no, she just couldn't read. There was somebody that she was concerned that they were blocking their thoughts from her, and that made them formidable. Mm-hmm. My assumption is that the Betazoids can do that and do that. And the only reason I'm assuming that is because her mother is chastising her for talking. And then when Deanna starts, you know, doing the whole mind talking instead, Loxana is like, oh, okay, good. So you haven't forgotten. So, I mean, this is not necessarily something that I think is inherent. It's something that they sort of you know, learn or it's something it's, it's, it's a skill that they hone at the very right, least, right. even if it is inherent in them, the ability to do it. It's kind of like the force in um, the original trilogy before we learned about metachlorians, right? There are some people mm-hmm. who, who just kind of have it and, and then Jedi actually learn to use it or Sith actually learn to <laughs> right. use it. Yeah, right? either way. Yeah. And then, uh, so I, I, I sort of assumed it was the same thing here. The thing that I found myself wondering was... It was not until, I guess, the second or third time that I was watching this episode this week when they were talking about the ultimate honesty. So really, everybody, including Picard, is just totally attracted to Loxana because I assumed that she was just because if I were a mind reader (laughs) and it were proven that I were a mind reader, I might go around and tell people, oh, yeah, he was totally thinking that even if he wasn't just because, you know, it's a joke. Right. Or she was. Oh, yeah, she was totally thinking that even just to be funny. Yeah. Right. But if she's like ultra honest then really everybody's just totally attracted to her. Well, but I mean, here's the thing. She, she's honest, but she's manipulative. Right. So, But she's not lying. That's the thing. When she's like, uh, oh, yeah, he totally wants to see me naked. And he's like, oh, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I. okay, so from his reaction, obviously he does. But then when she says in the end that Picard is attracted to her, 
It's it's like wait, okay. Well, we've learned a lot about Picard this week, haven't we? Because I'm not sure what that was exactly that would have attracted him to her. And yet, if she is ultra honest, then I guess that must be true. It is interesting that through all of that, th- through having to navigate emotions and and thoughts, that Loxana is a character who basically lacks empathy. <laughs> I mean, she really, you know, it's not like she's a killer or anything, but <laughs> not that we know of. But, <laughs> But Deanna is a character based on her empathic abilities, and mm-hmm. and that makes her special. But Waxana shows up and just does not care about the feelings of others, except how they relate to her. Mm-hmm. You know, it is purely about her. So, yeah, boy, that that's a, it's a tough character to navigate. And I am glad that we'll actually get more, though, because I feel like we... At least my impression of her right now is that other than the the wacky mother, mm-hmm. um, there's not a lot there, but we'll get it later. We have talked in the past, I, I believe it was actually around Troy, it was since we started Next Gen, I know, about there maybe being something to the half-human, half-blank, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, mm-hmm. Vulcans, the Vulcans are, in certain situations, are fairly useless because they're tied totally to logic. And Spock's got that warring thing in him where he's half Vulcan, half human. And from that, really wonderful things end up happening, right? um, Right, right. Like he was able to establish contact with V'ger, or really he was just able to sense V'ger. He didn't close his mind to it because there's a human curiosity about it, but he was, you know, also open to it, I guess, telepathically because the half Vulcan thing. Same sort of thing with Troy. I mean, I would think that the Betazoids would actually be kind of useless if they were all like Loxana. If they were, you know, if, if all they could do was... was (laughs) <laughs> me, 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 their way to the galaxy, <laughs> right. right? There's, right. A, there's, a, I mean, that empathy thing, I mean, maybe, you know, she has more of a, of, of an empathy for, you know, humans and, and other species because she's only half this thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe it's that whole, it's that whole, you know, half human, half blank combo. Well, Ken, I, I would call that an itic thing even. Would you? Uh, I would. I would because when it, the, the whole idea is that when you get to that third thing, when when uh, item one and item two come together, and you end up with that third thing, whether it's uh, uh, a, a compromise, a philosophical compromise, or a new being, as we did in Viger, uh in the motion picture, something like that, I I would call that Itic. But the interesting thing about Itic in this episode. To me, the the challenging part was, where do we draw the line on respect for other cultures? You know, even Picard is a little uh, put off at at the whole idea of an arranged marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, and and put aside just the the joking about the the nude wedding and and all of that. Um, Because the arranged marriage is archaic, but even the Vulcans do it. So we're we're at least still familiar with this idea way in the future. And, and I wondered that, is this a place where perhaps the, the implied, uh, there's a lot of words you can put around it, exploitation or, or potential for abuse or stopping individual rights mm-hmm. is more important than the tradition. D- does it then not apply? Is this one of those cases where it does not tolerate the intolerance of an individual's right to choose his or her own destiny. That, that seemed to be the, uh, the, the difficult part here. Well, I wonder if it is because, I mean, she's on the Enterprise, right? I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, it is accepted. It seems to be accepted all the way through, maybe not by the parents. But, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's the thing with parents, right? 
You were going to be yeah, a doctor. Yeah. What happened to being a doctor? You were going to be a lawyer. What happened to being a lawyer? You know, well, okay, kids are free to not become those things that their parents expect them to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Troy is going along with it, but it seems obvious that she doesn't have to. It is expected of her. Yeah. It's expected of her both by the Millers and by her mother and by the society, but she doesn't have to. She's on a starship for crying out loud. She could just mm-hmm. say, no, I don't want to. And, and Wyatt even asks her, you know, so do you, do you really want to do this? And she says she does because she actually seems to kind of like him or at least thinks that she could, you know, come to love him at some point. It's weird that after only three minutes with him, she's like, yeah, you and I could totally read each other one day. Just like the only other person I've ever been able to do that with. Yeah. It was a little, it was a little surprising, but you know, maybe there is something to the genetic bonding. I don't know. Um, yeah. I think if we came across a planet where it's like, well, she's 13 now and it's time to marry her off to that other guy that we might have a bit more of a, uh, that we might have a bit more of a question. It, it feels more like she is a person who is deciding whether or not she's going to live up to the expectations. Granted, those expectations were made years ago, but it's not like, I don't think that the, the police of Betazoid are going to come and, uh, and arrest her if she chooses to throw off the, uh, chooses to throw off the betrothal. No, but all the parents are, they are already decided and, yeah. and it's not even a question posed to her. Like, yeah, I agree that you know, Deanna is a strong enough character and, and she is adult enough of a character that we get it. She can make decisions on her own and, and she has chosen a career path. But when everybody shows up, they're just like, this is what's happening. You know, right. that, that box, that creepy, creepy box shows up <laughs> and just like, here you go. You're getting married. And every adult then, every parent that shows up after the fact, um, nobody even poses the question to her yeah. of, are, do you want to do this? It did strike me as bizarre <laughs> that Picard was like, so when you and your husband get together, are you going to stay on the ship? There wasn't even <laughs> there wasn't even a question from him like, really, you're getting married? I mean, there, that didn't yeah, even happen. Right, it was right. just like, so... Uh, so what is this? Do, do we need to get you bigger quarters or do we need to start, you know, cleaning the carpet in your place because somebody else is moving in? Yeah. 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 Kind of I, I mean, and it's not an episode about arranged marriage and, and going into the, the the dark details of whether we're for it or against it or is this, a, you know, culturally acceptable. The episode's not about that. This is more about the characters. Um, but, it, you know, it was an interesting thing to bring up. And, and like I said, I was just a little surprised that nobody asked Deanna. But I, I guess then you you lose the dramatic element there. Um, it, it is enjoyable to see kind of the clash of cultures. You know, again, going back to the the Itic thing here, I, I didn't feel like it was anything particularly new, um, but it's relatable. Part, uh, Picard does his best as a peacemaker. Uh, I love that he makes the decree at the party that Starfleet tradition forbids arguing at a cocktail party. <laughs> so he just declares, uh, from now on, differences are resolved. Boom. Because I said it. <laughs> so let it be written. So let it be done. And they lived happily ever after. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, but it did make me think, you know, and, and you hear this sometimes from people who let's say they have a a difficult time not being married, but a difficult time getting married, that uh, sometimes the wedding is more about the people who aren't getting married. It's about the whole tricky navigation of families and expectations and traditions and, and blah, blah, blah. So I, I know nothing about that at all. I, I, yeah, I see I'm being very vague. Kind yeah, of, so I know yeah. that you know nothing about it. Yeah. Good, good on you. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. Um, um, 
we did hit on an interesting little thing about Turelians, that, that they may be a little bit like us. You know, they, they had a, a civil war that wiped out both sides mm-hmm. of their, their cultures by using biological weapons. And then when they were used by one side, it kind of backfired and killed those people who had launched the weapon. Um, but all of this presents an interesting conundrum to the people of Haven. Um, sure, they've got a beautiful place full of healing ability, but if you bring your plague-riddled bodies here, we will have your starship blasted right out of the sky. Yeah. I don't think anybody actually believes that Haven has healing ability, though. I guess I guess the people of Haven don't even really believe no. in the ability of their planet to heal anybody. No, they <laughs> don't. Know? They don't at all, because she's like, yeah, you're right. It was kind of amazing, actually, where she's like, it's this like, peace, fun-loving planet. She's like, hey, is that ship dead yet? Have you destroyed that <laughs> ship yet? Have you killed those people coming towards our planet yet? Please. Because they won't even talk to me. And if they won't even talk to me, just kill them. Yeah. Part mysticism. Part population destroying plague. Part comedy. What do the various parts of Haven add up to? And I fear that early on, we may have perhaps given up our feelings about this episode. Might have because now hands a tiny bit. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we've arrived at the point where, where we got to sum it all up, and we have to say if the episode holds up, and we have to parse the messages and whether or not they hold up. So I, I'll present it to you first. I want to know if you feel like this episode holds up. No, this episode is terrible. Okay. This episode is just horrible. And, I mean, the one good thing about this episode is you do get to see Loxana Troy. You do get to see uh, Major Barrett. And 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 the good news is that's going to get better. Because if she were just some other actress, if she weren't Christine Chapel, if she weren't number one, if she weren't Mrs. Roddenberry at some point, if that were just some other actress and this character only happened one time, you would you would just hate this character and you'd probably end up hating the actress too. Knowing who she is and knowing that that character is going to soften somewhat, at least at least in my memory she does. Um, that that is the one thing that might make this episode kind of okay. Mm-hmm. I, I was really hoping for something with the Torellians. I was really hoping for some sort of, uh, you know, a moral conundrum. I mean, it really is interesting. Picard is, does have a problem. He's like, okay, so so we are required to defend Haven, but we are also required to help these people. And that might have actually had some interesting, you know, sort of philosophical or, or sort of difficult, like, dealings or, you know, any number of things might have happened there. Oh, but I forgot. Magic. So even that is going to fold into the rest of the thing. It, it, no, it's just incredibly, incredibly disappointing. Horribly acted, terribly written. You know what it reminded me of? What? It reminded me of later Marx Brothers movies. Or like, mm. or like the, the major motion pictures with the Three Stooges, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So we've got, we've got the Enterprise. And we love the Enterprise. And we've got Picard. And, you know, we seem to love Picard at this point. It's interesting to me that you say that this was filmed even before The Last Outpost. Because yeah. I got to imagine there were people walking around on set with this script going, I don't know. You know, I mean, because this is this is dicey. If this had come up earlier in the series, I I I wonder how it would have done for the rest of the series. And we're only 10 episodes in. But if this had been like the second or third episode. Yeah, I have no idea how it would have how it would have gone. And it's weird to think about that now because we're what as we record this, we're coming up on the 27th 
anniversary as we record this. We're coming up on the mm. 27th anniversary of TNG. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird to think about that show being tenuous at any point. But then if you go back and watch the first uh, the first few episodes, yeah, there are lots of times where it seems like this thing could have just like, sunk like a stone. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... It's just it, it. The reason it reminded me of the of the of the later Marx Brothers movies, or it reminded me of um, of the Three Stooges movies, is because you know there are all these parts that we love. There's Groucho, there's Chico, there's Harpo, right? But they end up sort of like taking this 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 almost like okay, we're going to show the funny Marx Brothers parts, and then we're going to show like the romance, or we're going to show the the totally ridiculously even for a Marx Brothers movie put together plot. Same thing happened with the uh, Three Stooges movies as well. And it may seem mm. silly to you know compare all these things, but that's what it comes down to. There's lots of stuff that you that you're supposed to love in this. Hey, there's Data. Hey, there's the Enterprise. Hey, there's Picard. What the heck is going on with the rest <laughs> right. of this episode? It just it's it it was borderline uh, painful. Made me miss yeah. the naked now. There. Wow. <laughs> I know. Wow. Yes, yeah. we have a new we have a new low water mark as far as I'm concerned, with the exception. Of Loxana Troy, but again, that's just trading on what she's going to become. Because in this episode, it's it it no, no, right, right. What about yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, going on the Loxana thing, you you kind of go into it um, if you're even just a, a marginal Star Trek fan, going like, oh, okay, I I know the name Roddenberry, and I know that this is the actress who played Christine Chapel, and I know that this is the voice of the computer. So you, you kind of go into it like like it's almost a family reunion. At mm-hmm. that point, so you're just you're glad to see that person. And Majel had this bigger than life personality. So to really get to let her do something fun and over the top compared to Chapel, who we very often said was just a wasted character. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's exciting. Mm-hmm. But as you're also saying, we're excited about what that character can become because as an episode, as a standalone thing, this does not hold up. I find that the production is is tough. It's maybe not as bad looking as some of the other episodes, but it's a little rough. Um, the styling is a little rough, even though there's just so much hair. Yeah. Um, you know, Potentially so, award-winning hair. Potentially award-winning hair, yes. Um I felt kind of like, um, I, I guess it was in Lonely Among Us, where I felt like we focused at one point on the wrong story, because we had this negotiation between two different species that were on board, the, the dogs and the lizards, mm-hmm. and they were going to kill each other, <laughs> but... Picard had the very difficult task of negotiating their peace and getting them to a place where that peace could be fulfilled. And then we just didn't do it. We ended with, oh, they're trying to eat the lizard ambassador. Um, (laughs) Huge, huge, huge wasted opportunity. So I felt the same way that you did. Here's this plague ship. Here's this planet that potentially heal, maybe. But if the legend is just a legend and there's no fact to it, what do we do? How do we navigate this? And and even if you end with somebody who is so altruistic and maybe misguided, driven by this bizarre love story, not bizarre love triangle, but yeah. Um, Although kind of. Although kind of, yeah. Maybe you could have still ended with that idea that here's somebody who sacrifices himself potentially to go dedicate himself to helping these people. All of that is interesting stuff. We didn't get the interesting stuff in this episode. No, 
No, even the clash of cultures thing, honestly, I have to disagree with you a bit. It didn't feel like a clash of cultures to me. It felt like bad sitcom in-laws. It was bickering, yeah. Yeah, it felt like, you know, okay, well, I love you, and you love me, and we love each other, and now we have to introduce our parents, so yeah. meet the Fockers, or, you know, yeah. two, or three, or that, except, you know, those were actually funny. Right. Well, the first one was. I didn't <laughs> well, see the rest okay. of them. The first one was funny, but the re- yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So is there a message? Oh, pass. I don't, not, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, when it all, when it all devolves down to mysticism. Yeah. Then you really take the message part out of it, it seems to me. I mean, you could say there was something to Deanna's being willing to do what she agreed to do a long time ago, except that doesn't come to fruition. You could say that, I mean, like, as you say, it, had it been Wyatt is going to go over and help those people because he's the only person who can, even though blank. But I mean, that doesn't even that doesn't even apply because he thinks that he can help heal those people. And also there is the woman literally of his dreams. So, I mean, you can't even make the whole he's making a sacrifice uh, point. I mean, yeah, he might die, but he might not (laughs) because those people didn't. So, I mean, it's I mean, yeah, he is kind of running a risk, but he is running a risk that magic has told him his whole life he was born to run anyway. And I'm sorry to keep saying magic. You can say Gaia. You can say the interconnectedness of all things. You can say whatever you want to. It's magic. In this episode, it's magic, right? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. And so the fact that the fact that everything in this episode hinges on magic, and we don't actually get examination of the real things worth examining, like the difficult situation that Picard could be in of having to both help and destroy those people so that he can help these other people. No, I just I don't I don't think there was one. Was there? What about you? Well, you know, the, there's later, more serious Star Trek to come, where mm-hmm. maybe they could have taken on the idea of arranged marriage. And and what is that fine line, like I said before, where you respect a cultural tradition, but then you also try to navigate respecting the the sanctity of the individual to mm-hmm. make decisions. Like, that, that could oh, have I, all been interesting stuff. I, I think I know the episode you're talking about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Okay. Yeah, no, seriously, I'm, that, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So yeah, I mean, so the, that that can be and will be very interesting stuff, and, and to see a negotiator like Picard work that out, yeah, that that's that's fascinating. But we didn't get that in this episode. Yeah. You know, maybe if there's a, a message for a guy like Wyatt, you know, follow your heart, even if that leads you to beam yourself over to an infected plague ship, <laughs> the love of your life. You know. Uh, well, you know, maybe so long, son. We'll check that. in in two weeks. Oh, yeah. hey, he might get. He, he might be lucky. They might he be may like, well. oh, wait, wait. We didn't have the plague after all. We just we assumed we did because everybody else did. Well, no, they say that they carry it, but he's also done a lot of studying on it. My assumption is that he's going to be fine, and they're going to be fine. And I, you know, I got that impression. That so. is his assumption as well. Although, again, it's sort of like what we talked about in the Corbin might maneuver with. Uh, Baylock and whoever it was that flew around with him. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, check back in a month. We'll see. There's no, there's no reason that that plague ship can't fly right alongside the Enterprise as they beam each other medical equipment. No, I, you know, no, this can no, be an John. ongoing thing. No, no, they have to sail off into the sunset. <laughs> Just don't get near Haven. Yeah, ever. <laughs> ever. Uh, so, do those messages hold up? Sure. Okay. Even if it's a plague ship full of people that may kill you, follow your heart. No, no, don't. <laughs> don't talk it out with somebody first, please, before you make that decision. I don't even know which one you're advocating anymore. 
No, I'm neither. All right. Neither. All right. I'm not, you, I'm not you, advocating. You just want to say goodbye, don't you? Well, I, I, I want to save my goodbye for next week because next weekend, it's the big goodbye. Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Planning on visiting Haven? Be sure to call ahead. Seriously, they get a little touchy if you don't. And Transmission. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.